It is again a unique setting that brings us together online. We were expecting to be worshiping on Sunday morning, and now we're recording at home. But instead of being distressed about things that we do not have, we are rejoicing with the fact that God's word is still able to go forth. And the, the technology that, we, that allows us to do that, even from our church and, and from our homes. So as we look at this text today, we are going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and continuing in the sermon series, How Shall We Live? And the question I begin with for you today is, if Jesus is coming back, how should we live? Well, of course we know that Jesus is coming back. He said that he's coming back. Maybe the real question that we wonder in our mind is, is he coming back soon? And we could look at different signs, things of Israel, things of political nature or uh, the different circumstances that are around and we could see various reasons for his coming soon. But really, the question that I would ask you with that, if he was coming today or tomorrow, would it change how you live? That's an important question as we look at this text because James challenges the value system that we live by. And this text is a corrective text. If we find ourselves living on a value system that's based on earth, it's an encouraging text if you find yourself living on a value system based on heaven. One of the challenges as we live in the United States is that we are prone to gather and collect and keep rather than give and share and, and care. The reality that ev- is that everything that we have is from God. We can't, re- all of the things that we have are gifts from him. Everything that we have is given to us for a short time. So maybe one of the benefits of COVID and this pandemic is it causes us to reevaluate our priorities, to look at things from an eternal perspective. One of the benefits of the election and the turmoil surrounding that is that it reminds us that we are not in charge. So let's look into this text, this encouragement and this correction from James chapter five. Let's read together. Verse one, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters, you have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Then verse 7, 
Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I warned you that it would be a challenging text, and it begins right there with weep and howl and mourn. But the end of it is the Lord is coming. So if the Lord is coming, then let's live like it. So if we look at that first verse, the rate, come now you rich, weep, howl, and mourn for the miseries that are coming upon you. It describes judgment. It describes the Lord's judgment. And the question that you might ask in regard to that is, why is the Lord giving this warning? You know, if he is a revengeful, wrathful God, he would have no reason or motivation to give warning. But he does give a warning, and it is a warning given to us out of love, concerned about our welfare, that we are heading down the wrong path, an empty, corrupted path. He warns us because he loves us. Because the result of chasing after the wind is hollow. Now this isn't the first warning in scripture. We can think of the warnings that he gave to Israel when they came out of Egypt to not turn back to the gods of their fathers in Egypt. Or to follow after the gods of the land that they were going to be inheriting. And for a time, they followed the Lord. And then they turned away. And what happened? They ended up in captivity in Babylon. There's another example of the warnings that God gave, and it was to the people of Nineveh through the prophet Jonah. And Jonah went reluctantly to the city and gave them that stern warning, repent, for in three days this city will be destroyed. But the people repented in sackcloth and ashes, and the Lord relented from his action. He turned because the people had repented and turned. That is the opportunity that is before us as we look at this text. It's an opportunity to turn from that which we are running, a path that we are running down. We are the ones that are the rich. We have more than the kings of Israel ever had. We are the ones that live in an entitlement society where we deserve the things that we have or get. And the warning then comes to us in verse 2 and 3 for hoarding. Your riches have rotten, your mar- Garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. It's true, we hoard. We make shows out of hoarding. We keep, we treasure, we pile up. We increase our debt so we can get more. And really, the things that we own, own us. They are a picture of what we value, the things that we hold on to. They reveal our heart, what we worship, 
We can think anybody that's lived in their house for any extended period of time realizes how much we accumulate over time. And then when you move, all of a sudden, what do we do with all of this stuff? Or maybe you've gone to some electronic device that you haven't used in quite a while, and you try to use it and it doesn't work. So you check the batteries, and sure enough, the batteries have corroded. And you change the batteries, but it still doesn't work because the corrosion has eaten away the electronics inside. It's a picture of what James is describing. For us, because we are hoarding. Then it continues for the second warning of holding back that which is given for others. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Now, maybe you don't have fields that you need to mow. Uh, or if you do, maybe you pay them good wages. But we do have products where we do not know who made them or care about the situation that they're in. And coffee and chocolate are two that have had national attention. Uh, places where the person that is growing the crops, they don't receive nearly any of the benefit. But what about the application to our very direct lives? We are masters at getting good deals. We shop coupons, we search online, we wait for the big sales. And Watching budget is important and being good stewards of things is is right. But the problem is the attitude that it sets up in our heart. It's an attitude that we can get what we want, regardless of the effect on someone else, regardless of what the cost is to someone. It's an attitude of selfishness or greed. When our, cut, our children were younger, we noticed some of that attitude creeping in at Christmas time. And that surprised us. It shouldn't have. It was, it's a natural thing, probably for any of us. And so we, we surprised them one Christmas by saying, this year you're not going to get any presents. There was an audible gasp, anger and sadness, because they were not going to get any presents. And then we said, if you would like to give a present, you're welcome to do so. And they had gotten gifts for their brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters as, as uh, they were able, simple and small though they might be. And so they were delighted to be able to give that gift. And after they had given theirs, then we gave ours as well. And it changed our attitude about Christmas, from one of what you get to what you give. Verse 5 describes the third warning. It says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. We are self-indulgent. Maybe it feels like James is being too harsh as he describes the very vivid imagery there. 
So what about Jesus? What does he say about this? Well, Luke chapter 12, 16, he told a parable and he said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, ah, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample supply laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, these warnings, they build on one another. It starts out with hoarding. This is mine, me, myself, and I. Then it goes to holding back or pushing away others. What they do not get then is still mine. And then it becomes self-indulgence and and caring about what I get to enjoy, the pleasure. And then finally it turns to hurting others. Verse 6, it describes, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Maybe that seems harsh. Condemn and murder. You're saying this doesn't describe me. But Jesus said, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. We do get angry. It's visible in our country. We have our country that's divided very starkly from one side to another. And people are angry with each other and willing to be violent toward each other just because they believe something different. It exposes the heart that is inside of us. And we're willing to even hurt somebody because they don't agree with us. Without stopping to understand, without stopping to care about them. Now, some of the topics, when it regards when it's regarding life, we need to take those seriously. We can't brush them aside, but we do not even know what the priorities of the person that we're angry with are. Well, it turns to verse 7, and the encouragement comes. Because the Lord, the Lord's coming means judgment, and it also means harvest. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... James describes this word patient three times in this text, in the verse 7 and 8. He says uh, to be patient with regard to harvest, with regard to rain, and with regard to the coming of the Lord. That waiting that he describes is not a passive idleness. It's, it's waiting of anticipation and hope, a preparation a time of confident expectation. So on Friday, our ninth grandchild was born, Michael Thomas Page. And our daughter and son-in-law have been waiting for this little one for nine months, as all children have the same time period. 
They have had multiple doctor visits. They have prepared their house. They've gathered clothes. They've prepared to be gone from work for several weeks. And now they were waiting until the waiting is done. Waiting for the Lord can seem like a long and grueling process. But when we meet him, either because of death or because of his return, all of that preparation will be worth it. Everything we have invested in heaven rather than on earth will be worth it. We may wish that we had prepared more. We may have wished that we had a different priority, priority of things of God rather than the things of the earth. But at that moment, the things of earth will seem very insignificant. I think of this song that describes a movie I can only imagine. Uh, Bart Miller is the one that wrote that song uh, from the band uh, Mercy Me, and we had the movie showing in our church. He wrote that, that song when his father died, and it was made into a movie. And here, let me read some of those lyrics that are so apropos. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Patience. Patient waiting for the harvest. Patient waiting for heaven. And then verse 8 describes another term. It says, establish. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The word establish gives a sense of permanence. It's an attitude that says, I will not be distracted by the lesser things of earth. I have a hope that this world cannot give that nothing here can match. I have established that my longings, my desire, my hope is in the coming of the Lord. Verses 1 through 6 and all that is described in there seem empty in comparison to the coming of the Lord. In fact, if you struggle and are corrected or convicted by some of the things described in verses 1 through 6, then you need to ask yourself, where is my heart? Am I looking for the coming of the Lord? Am I looking for the things of earth? Well, verse 9 really brings this text to a very personal level. Because verse 9 describes a judge. And the Lord, Lord's coming means that the judge is coming. Verse 9, it says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And the word judge is capitalized. 
because it refers to Jesus. You see, Jesus is a unique judge. He judges rightly. He judges the heart. He doesn't hoard. In fact, all of the things of heaven were his. He could have kept it all for himself, but he chose to invite you to be a child of God. He invites you to be an heir of heaven. Does he hold anything back? No. He gives the immeasurable riches of his grace so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Did he indulge in himself? No, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then he faced Satan and all of his temptations. What about hurting others? No, of course not. He goes to the cross on our behalf. He took the form of a, a human and humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Taking the death and the pain and the hurt that we deserved upon himself. Is he patient? Of course he's patient. He is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How about it? He's established and ready and prepared. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That is a good judge. That is one that we can look forward to coming. Today, we were looking forward to being in worship in our sanctuary, greeting our friends and family, the church family at least. I was expecting to teach Sunday school. I was expecting to greet people. And all of a sudden, multiple staff were quarantined because they were exposed to someone that had COVID. If they had known they were going to be put at risk, they would have done some things differently. So in a moment, everything changed. And again, we're online instead of being in person. And again, we have to wait. But waiting can help us reevaluate our priorities. Waiting can help us remember that it's not all about us. Even the warning or the threat of death is an important warning for us to hear so that we consider carefully how we are living today in light of Jesus coming. The Lord is coming. He is a good and kind and just judge. And he longs to be with you forever. Now, some of you may be trapped in verses 1 through 6 and all of the trappings that this earth has to give. Instead of 
Today, perhaps, is the day where you're saying, I don't want to live for the things that are temporary. I want to live for that which is eternal. I want Christ to have all of my heart. I want to surrender my life to the good and kind and just judge. The one that is standing at the door, ready and waiting. The one that has prepared a place for you. If that is you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can say, Come, Lord Jesus, into my heart. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize today, it's a reminder how uncertain things in this earth and this world are. Forgive us, forgive me for putting priorities on things that do not matter, that do not last, rather than putting our longings in our heart on things of heaven. Your word says that you are coming. Forgive us, Lord, for living as if we are living in this world alone. May we, and I I pray specifically for those who would like to invite Jesus into their heart today, so that their longing could be for heaven rather than the fear of earth and the fear of death. If that's you today, I invite you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I long to look forward to, I I long to be with you, to look forward to a relationship with you in heaven. Take me as your own. Cleanse me and wash me from all of my sin. I put my trust in you alone. 